And I don't know where you're joining us from. Maybe you're joining us from uh, your home. Maybe you're sitting on a couch. Maybe you're sitting on your love sack. I have no idea where what you're joining us. Maybe a, a big bean bag. I, I don't really know. But I'm glad that you're here. And uh, it's, it's a good day to be in church. Um, interact with us online here. Interact. We, we're not, you know, together physically, but we can still be together in that way. Glad that you're here. Um, Today we're, we're continuing the series, O Pioneer, and uh, this is week three, and we're talking about this idea of pioneering a balance, pioneering a balance. In fact, if you're taking notes today, I want you just to write that down. Uh, just because you're at your home doesn't mean you get out of taking notes today. No, we as a church, we worship in spirit and in, come on now, we worship in spirit and in what? Truth. That's right. I can hear my kids <laughs> saying it from our house. We worship in spirit and truth. And uh, I think that's more important now than ever. Can I just be honest? I mean, it seems like we live in an area, uh, an era of confusion right now. I don't know if you felt that way. I felt that way this week. It's just been like this, this confusing, odd time. And it's almost like the, the, the platform with the loudest voice, right, wins. And some days that's social media, some days that's my Twitter, some days that's my Facebook, some days that's the news. Some days it's the rumors that I hear or the, the conspiracies that I read or the numbers that don't make sense or the, or, or the people that are informing, whatever it is, it can be kind of confusing. And I wanna just state this up front, okay? It's up to us as followers of Christ to set the tone. Can we just pause there real quick? I think this is very important for us as a church. It is up to us as followers of Christ to set the tone, to truly pioneer a way forward where we are correctly balancing our truth, the truth, and our emotions. We have to pioneer that. We have God's word. It is truth, but we have to properly balance truth and emotions. Now, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. In John chapter 4, we, as we just read in 23 and 24, we have Jesus talking to a woman at a well outside of town, outside of Samaria to be specific. And uh, I don't know if you know this or not, Jews and Samaritans, they don't, they don't get along. They don't like each other. They really hate each other. And men and women in, in Jesus' day, not really interacting with each other that much. And, and so for Jesus to have a conversation with a Samaritan, big deal. For Jesus to have a conversation with a Samaritan who is uh, a woman, even a bigger deal. And this is kind of a famous story in the Bible. And it's kind of famous because Jesus makes himself known to this woman as the Messiah that, that she's been waiting for, that everybody's been waiting for. But Jesus says something very important here, and it's often glossed over. Look at, look at verse 23. He says this, The hour is coming and is now here. The hour is coming and is now here. And he says this, When the what? True worshipers will worship the Father in, say it with me, spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. Now, you hear this all the time because this is one of our core values as Covenant Church, that we worship in spirit and truth. I mean, I say it every single time I preach, every time Pastor Seth preaches or every time Pastor David preaches. We, we say this every time that we, we're able to, to stand behind a podium and preach God's word. Why? Because it's one of our core values. But what makes this statement so important is that up to this point, worship for the Jews was, how, how can I say this, was a requirement, okay? 
It was a requirement. We have the privilege of getting together and worshiping at a church. Now, I know right now we're separated by cameras and, and distance, right? Uh, we're all hunkered down in bunkers. I get that. But at that point in time, it was a requirement of the law, okay, for God's people. The law required you to go to temple. In other words, the law required you to go to church. The law required that you make certain sacrifices. The law required that you, you go through certain rituals. This was the truth of worship. This was the truth of worshiping in that day. But notice in chapter, uh, in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 4 of John, notice how Jesus added a certain word. He doesn't just say worship in truth. Jesus says worship also in what? Spirit. Since the hour is coming, the day is now here, right? Where you will also worship in spirit. Now, that wasn't by accident that Jesus said that. It was intentional. And Jesus is getting at a few key things here. Primarily, he's saying that he is the one. He reveals himself. I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one who is sent to fulfill the law. So now, because Jesus is fulfilling the law, you with me? Okay. A new approach to worship is about to take place. Think about how life-changing earth-shattering that is to somebody who is required since birth to go about fulfilling certain practices in the law. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that. So a new approach to worship is about to take place. Now, what's interesting about this is that Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that he didn't come to do away with the law, but they came to fulfill the law. That's why he doesn't take away the truth in worship. He adds spirit into worship. That's important. He doesn't take away the truth of worshiping, the truth in gathering, the truth in sacrifice, giving, etc. He adds the spirit. Jesus understood, right, that the worship up to this point was incomplete at best. For a Jew, your worship was was, although it was beautiful and wonderful and, 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 and carried foreshadowing, it was incomplete because people had only been worshiping in truth and not in spirit. And so over a time, this produced something very interesting in their society, in their temples, in their, their churches, right? If you remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about the name of God. We said at the beginning that the original pioneer, the OG, right? God himself, his name, God's name, and this might be shocking to you if you're just joining in, God's name is not God. I know, hold the phone, big deal, right? God's name is not God. God gives us his name. He gave his name to Moses. And what's God's name? If you know it, say it. Yeah, Yahweh. God's name is Yahweh. And over time, what happened was the Jewish people, they were scared to use the name of God, and so they replaced the name of God with, with words like Hashem, which means the name, or, or Adonai, right, or um, different words like this. They replaced the name of God, not out of disrespect, but out of respect. They were scared that they would take the name of the Lord in vain. So they started saying like Hashem or Adonai when they prayed. But what happened was, what happened was, they were only worshiping in kind of the truth of who God was. But there's a personal side to God that Yahweh revealed. And the Jews over and over would forget. And they would depart from God. And so in the Old Testament, you see this God saying, no, 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 come back to me. I am Yahweh. I am your God. I am good. I am loving. I am kind. I am long-suffering. But because they forgot his name, 
because they, they, they forgot the nature and the character behind his name, they kept leaving. God was just a God. God was just huge. God was just massive, which he is. But the fact that he has a name gives us a relationship into the bigness of God. You follow me? Does this make sense? I hope it does. And what happened over time, right? Because they were just worshiping the bigness and the vastness and the, and the providential supreme side of this God, which is all true. They'd just been worshiping in truth and not spirit. And what this produced was an overly religious experience and an overly religious culture and not the personal one which is what it was intended to be. A worship only filled at that point in time with going through the motions, a checking off of the boxes, a worship experience that, that engaged the mind, but not necessarily the heart, a worship that engaged knowledge, but not emotions. Now you might say like, well, what's the problem with that? There's a big problem with that. And for some of you box checkers out there, <laughs> you don't have a problem, right? You're like, well, I'm checking off the boxes. Here's a problem. Here's a simple takeaway. Maybe write this down, okay? You ready? Truth without emotion will always produce religion. Truth without emotion produces religion. In fact, right where you're sitting right now, wherever you are, would you just say that with me? Truth without emotion produces, yeah, religion. Look at the multiple stories of the Pharisees throughout the Gospels. Jesus is always going to town on them, isn't he? <laughs> He's a, he just takes them to, to town every time. He's always calling them out. And what's he calling them out on? Yes, being hypocrites, but mainly on being so religious, right? Being religious and not having a heart. He calls them a den of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs that look nice on the outside but have death on the inside. Do you, do you understand what Jesus is saying in that moment? See, back in the day, in Jesus' day, they had tombs. And these tombs were kind of like cut or hewn out of rock. And they would roll stones in front of these tombs depending on how much wealth you had. And these tombs, because they're in the Middle East uh, and they have dead bodies inside that were decaying, smelled atrocious, really bad. I'm not trying to be grotesque here, but, but it smelled very bad. And so what they would do was they would go and they would paint the outside of these tombs. Why? Well, because it's like, well, it's going to stink. We can't do anything about that, but it might as well look nice. <laughs> that was kind of the, the intent. In fact, it's a lot, of like, it, it's a lot like um, if you're a freshman in college, most likely that's like your car. It just probably smells horribly on the inside, but you make sure the outside is nice and washed. That's Jesus' intent talking here. He said, there's death and decay on the inside, but on the outside, you've made it look beautiful. That's religion. They understood the truth, but not the heart behind it, not the spirit. And the Pharisees could never get this. This just didn't make sense to them, and they hated Jesus for this. Because to them, they were checking off all the boxes. They were giving their finances to the right places. They were tithing to their church. They were obedient and praying. They were reading scripture. They were doing all the right things, but they were missing out on what Jesus was teaching. Because what Jesus knew was that truth without emotion will always produce religion. In fact, I would say it like this. When you worship in truth only, emotion begins to seem trivial. And what's more, grace begins almost counterintuitive. This is why Jesus preached against religion. He preached against it because religion can never bring you what? 
a relationship. Religion can only ever bring you condemnation, personal or otherwise. Either you feel condemned when you don't check off the boxes or you condemn other people who aren't checking off the boxes. It goes like this. Look how good I am. Hey, everybody, look how good I am. I've, I've never missed a Sunday. I'm live streaming oh, every Sunday, every single time we go live. I'm on there. I'm, I'm sharing it with all my friends. I'm telling and inviting people to watch with me, right? Look how good I am. I don't just tithe 10%. I tithe 20%. Look how great I am. I've memorized the whole book of John. Or condemnation. What have you done? I see your Facebook feed. I see you don't even show up to church. You've missed Sundays. You don't tithe. You don't do much of anything. You're not accepted. See, this is the nature of religion. This is the language of religion. Religion kills. Let me just say that again. Religion kills. In fact, I don't think I can overstate this too much, so let me just say it one more time, and hopefully you can join with me, okay? Religion kills every time. And so if you only ever worship religiously, if you only ever engage your mind, if you only ever worship in truth, you miss the spirit. You miss the grace. You miss the emotion. You miss Jesus. This is why so many people today in church who have even grown up in church Shout out to uh, you if you were a, if you grew up you know going to church if you're a church kid shout out to my PK shout out to my missionary kids right if you grew up in church we've seen so many people who have grown up in church leave the church and a lot of times it's because they were a part of a religion and not necessarily in a relationship with Jesus religion listen to me now church listen 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 I know it's hard you got your kids running around you got you know, everything happened around you. I don't know, but listen, listen to this, please, listen. Religion is the enemy of a relationship with Jesus. It's the enemy to a relationship with Christ. In fact, the number one thing Jesus talked against wasn't money. The number one thing he, didn't t- he talked against wasn't greed. The number one thing Jesus talked against was religion. This is why when we worship, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to shout and sing. It's okay to say amen during a sermon. It's okay to clap and celebrate. It's a good thing to be emotional about our God. It's a good thing to be emotional about Jesus. I mean, we should be. I'm going I'm to get a little bit loud here, just so you know. I mean, don't we have a lot to be emotional about? Come on, church. Don't we have much to be thankful for? Don't we have much to celebrate? If we don't celebrate, if we don't stay thankful, if we are never emotional about our relationship with Jesus, then we have to wonder if we are truly in a relationship or if we are just in a religious system. Jesus spoke so much against religion and religious experience because religion and Jesus stand in such stark opposition to one another. Let me give you some examples. Religion says, do. Do this, do that, give this, give that, uh, be this, be that. Religion says do. Jesus says done. <laughs> I already did it all. There's no cost left to pay for your sin. I already did it all. Religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave. 
You're a slave to the boxes you have to check. You're a slave to the people that you serve. You're a slave to the church you participate in. Religion says slave. Jesus, Jesus is free. You're free. He who has the son has freedom. He's free, not just free, he's free indeed. Religion says work harder. Jesus says rest, rest in me. So this is the problem with religion. It is nothing more than a system of behavior modification that leads to death. It can't truly fix problems, so it just covers them up with keeping you busy with a list of do's and don'ts that lead nowhere. And that's why we have to be careful and only ever worshiping in truth because truth without emotion produces religion. But, but, hang tight. There's two sides to that coin. <laughs> And I think this other side for us is so important today. So important and so timely for us today. Because while truth without emotion produces religion, get this now, emotion without truth produces chaos. Emotion without truth produces chaos. I remember when this whole coronavirus, COVID-19, Things started happening and we were getting rumors and thoughts here and looking around the world and what are we going to do? One of the first things that happened was the toilet paper was gone. <laughs> the toilet paper was gone. God saved the TP. I mean, it was gone. You went to the store. I went to Kroger, gone. Walmart, gone. Dollar General, gone. You can see my list of where I'm going, right? Target, gone. it's gone everywhere. Why? Chaos. I mean, I guess we're all really scared that we're just not going to have toilet paper. Plenty of milk, plenty of water, plenty of, uh, you know, uh, everything else, but, but, you know, toilet paper. Why? I'll tell you why. Because emotion without truth creates chaos. Uh, in First Kings, there's a story that demonstrates this so well. Uh, you've heard it. It's a great, uh, great story about Elijah. And Elijah challenges these, these, these host of prophets, right? And they're false prophets for their, I'm sorry, they're prophets for their false god, um, Baal. Maybe you've called them Baal or Baal, or, uh, but it's Baal. And Elijah gives the prophets a chance to prove that their god is the one true god. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he wasn't. <laughs> but at the time, Elijah tells the people to call out to their god because maybe he was busy, maybe he couldn't hear them. So what do they do? The God doesn't really react to them, and just Elijah is just giving them a hard time. So what do they do? They get super emotional. I want to read this to you. Okay, you can open up the scripture, grab your phone, turn it on, grab your Bible, open it up, whatever it is. First Kings chapter 18, that's where we're going to be. First Kings chapter 18. I think we're going to put it up on the screen as well. First Kings chapter 18, look at this with me. We're going to start reading in verse, let's go, let's do verse 26. This is Elijah and the prophets. It says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, these prophets did, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, 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 Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, <laughs> saying, Cry loud, for he is a God, right? I mean, either he is musing, he's playing, right? Or he is relieving himself, you know what he's talking about? <laughs> or he is on a journey, maybe he's gone. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. The prophets cried aloud, and then they began to cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances. 
And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. Because yeah, they're calling out to a false god. No voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Now, and one of the most epic things is about to happen. If you've not read this passage, if you don't know this scripture, like buckle in. This is, this is the best. <laughs> Elijah said, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built, he built an altar in the name, in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar. In other words, he dug like a moat around uh, where this fire was supposed to take place. We're going to set this fire. Um, as great as would contain two uh, sayers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water <laughs> and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. This doesn't even make sense, right? And they said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And they said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Just so you know, not customary when you're trying to light a fire to uh, pour buckets of water all over. The, where you're going to be setting on fire, okay? But this is what Elijah does. In the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near, and this is his prayer. Listen to the power in this prayer. He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. Why? that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell, fell from the sky and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and the water in the trench. Man, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God, did you notice that? What an epic, incredible moment it would have been to be at this place. These were a people that had emotion but lacked truth. And what happened? It created chaos. And don't we see this today, church? Even in many churches across our country, people who value feeling over knowledge. Come on, I, I could stay on that. For a minute, I want to be good with your time, so I'm not going to. But people who valued knowledge, that's a good thing, right? But when you, when you value, I'm sorry, when you value feeling over knowledge, right? When you value feelings over knowledge, emotion over truth, Jesus tells us that there's a balance. And we're to worship in spirit and in truth. Emotion without truth is harmful. I would even go as far as to say that even emotion ignorant of truth, emotion with the best of intentions, right? If it's, even if it's ignorant, it can still do great damage. And, and here's what I would say. There are a lot of people today, and I hate to say this, uh, there are a lot of people today, people are maybe even an authority over you, maybe, maybe churches, they're going to try to sell you on a feeling to maybe even keep you from the truth, right? Why? Because, because sometimes we as humans, we like to, we like to react uh, emotionally. 
And so if you can keep somebody in an emotional state, sometimes they're easier to manipulate. Sometimes they're more malleable. Sometimes from a pastoral uh, point of view, if I can get you hyped and emotional, uh, maybe you'll give more money. Maybe you'll serve more. Maybe you'll jump into a small group. That's not what we're after here at all. It's not just feelings. It's not just emotion. We also must have the truth. And as followers of Jesus Christ, don't we have the truth? God's word is truth. This is why it's so important to know where your truth, the truth, ultimate authority comes from. It comes from God's word. Amen? But if you don't hold the Bible as a standard for truth, i got to ask you today, where's your truth come from? And what gives it its validation of truth or for ultimate truth? We believe that scripture is God's word, breathed out by God's word, by God himself, written by men under the unction of the Holy Spirit. This is why we value it. This is why we value knowledge. This is why we value truth. This is why we don't just show up on a Sunday and talk about emotional theories or theology uh, like, or gather in small groups and just share our emotions. No, we read God's word. We read scripture. Why? Because it is truth. This is why Paul tells us that we're to study scripture to show ourselves what? Approved. And in our day, in our time, right now, there are so many people pulling at us saying, this is truth, this is truth, this is truth. I don't know about you, but I'm wondering what is true. Here's somebody I respect that's telling me that's true. There's somebody that I respect saying that that's true. And both people that I respect are saying the opposite things. What do I do emotionally about that? I turn to God's word. Because it's ultimately true. It has ultimate authority. And that's why my hope is not found in this world. My hope is found in God's word. My hope is found in the never changing, always faithful word of God and Yahweh himself. So this morning, my invitation is to us as followers of Christ, to you. As a follower of Jesus, if today you would say, man, I know Jesus Christ. I know him. Let me ask you number one. Okay, good. You know who he is, but are you in relationship with him? It's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another thing to have heart knowledge. Do you have a heart knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life? Are you ever emotional about that? You just find yourself checking off the boxes. Today, it's time to get into a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe, maybe that's not you, but maybe for you today, maybe it's that you're just questioning truth, trying to find a, an ultimate truth. And I want to invite you to get involved in Scripture, to read, to, to study, to, to pray, to, to find out who this God is who has been calling out to you, reaching out to you, chasing you. So I want to give you just a moment right now. We're going to play some music just at this time, just, just briefly, okay? And I want to just create a little bit of space here. I'm going to stay with you for a minute. And I'm going to create a little bit of space right now for us just to pray and to evaluate. And I want us to balance, and this is the dance, right? The balance, the dance of truth and emotion. Balance the truth of God's word with the emotion you feel. And in those moments where you feel like it's chaos and you don't emotionally know what to do, what do you do? You lean into the truth of God's word. And what it does is it relieves the tension that the chaos creates. If you feel in your heart right now a little bit of chaos, a little bit of anxiety, what do you do? You need to lean into the truth. 
If you find yourself becoming uh, very, uh, very strong in the truth, and I know that sounds odd, but you can become very legalistic, you know what I mean? And you're finding yourself not having grace for others. You, you might need to lean into the emotion a little bit and find the balance between this, right in the center of this truth and, and right in the center of these emotions. Right now, I just want you, where you sit, where you, where you stand, where you're working from, whatever it might be, would you just close your eyes, just bow your heads for a moment. Let's give a second for some space here, for the Holy Spirit to work, for God to move, for us to be wise as followers of Christ. The day and age that we live right now requires a lot of wisdom. Wisdom, do you hear me? We're to be intentional, we're to be intelligent, we're to, to use this as a source of ultimate truth and authority in our lives. Be wise right now, church. Let's pray right now for that wisdom. Would you just join me? Heavenly Father, we declare that your word is truth and that your spirit illuminates it to us as we read, speaks to our hearts, speaks to our minds, works powerfully. Father, I ask today that we would be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. God, forgive us and remove the, the religiosity that we love to cling to and love to hang our hat on and love to condemn others and step on others with. Forgive us. How dare we do that, Father? We repent of that and we lean into, we lean into the Spirit, Lord. But God, I also pray that you would be with us who, who might lean a little too much emotionally. And, and maybe we feel a little chaotic. Maybe we, we don't really, we really don't know the truth that is in God's word. Yes, we know that there is a God who, who loves us. Yes, we know that he sent his son Jesus to save us. But, but beyond that, we really don't know too much. God, I pray that we would get into reading the truth. God, that the truth would set us free and change us. Right now, Father, in this moment, you are working and moving in your church in ways that we will not even understand until we look back on this experience. May we not miss what you're doing. I feel that you are ripping away religiosity from ch some churches and ripping away from other churches just this felt needs only type of teaching, preaching, living. You are calling us back to be a church, a church, Lord, not just covenant, but all of us. You're calling us back to be churches that worship equally in spirit and in truth, fueled by your word, filled with the spirit, moving the mission forward. May we be in that vein. May we be on mission. Change our hearts, Lord, work in us today. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things.